Okay. All right. John Valentine on the Stag Room podcast. How you doing, John? What's going on, bro? What's up? Okay. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk with you about tonight, John, is uh, really just um, your training that you're doing right now. So if you could give me uh, just a, a summary of the kind of training that you're going around and doing for people right now and uh, just explain it as, as briefly as you could. Uh, uh, what is it that, how would you describe the training that you provide for people? And maybe also just a little bit of the target demographic, who is it for? Um, and and uh, just uh, lay that out for us real quick. Well, if I had to sum it up in very simple terms and very uh, as few words as possible, I'd, I'd probably have to say deeds of arms. Okay. Um, um, that's kind of the, that's the name of a, a clothing brand we started as far as with the uh, Combatives Association. But it is essentially how does a man know he's a man, right? And and, and Jeff Cooper. He once said that uh, a man doesn't know if he's a man unless he's been to war. So, but, so what do you do in peacetime? And that's where uh, Matt introduced me to uh, uh, St Stephen Mulberry, his uh, book, Deeds of Arms, where uh, young men, uh, men of arms, they arrange conflict. They arrange warfare. They arrange competitions to test themselves and, and prove their mettle. I mean, uh, so if I had to sum it up that way, it's about really stepping in and fighting and, and proving, proving your man capable of defending what's yours. Nice. Okay. And so that, uh, that crosses a few different venues. Um, so you're not just providing an environment for, uh, for that type of competition related to uh, like a specific context with just grappling. Um, so you have uh, not just striking, um, you're you're introducing a level of realism that also involves weapons and stuff like that too, right? Yes, sir. Uh, so th there was a point in time where I felt that the inert training tools such as blue guns and um, training knives were kind of doing the job. Um, but then as I began to learn more about firearms, I realized that the non-lethal training aids, such as the simunitions, uh, UTMs, things like that, I, I realized that they were not only an important part of the training, but they were essential. And, and the reason why is because when you're doing things with inert training tools, um, there are certain things that can sound like it's a great idea. Uh, for and, and also I have to talk about as far as, what are the preconditions for when I can actually use lethal force against a person, right? That, that's also very, very important. Uh, so when you're just going live and you're grappling, I mean, you, you can, uh, you know, or, or say, let's say jujitsu with guns for, for lack of a better word. Uh, when you're just going at it, there's a lot of things that seem like great ideas, but then as you begin to learn and you can begin to understand uh, the context of the of these situations, you realize like, man, certain things that I'm doing are absolutely uh, the wrong thing to do. Um, there are times where like, okay, I could get a choke out, but if that guy makes me bleed out, who actually won that fight? Um, there are certain situations where a technique is, is 
very viable, such as the arm drag, right? I, I, I love arm drags. But if this person has presented a projectile weapon and I arm drag them, what I've actually have done is given them the space they need to use that weapon effectively and, and also within the conditions that it was designed for. So I'm helping this person. Um, so, so yeah, the, the non-lethal training aids, I feel like they're, um, they're the cornerstone of this training. Yeah. So, uh, a phrase that, that I kind of took away from, so just, uh, so listeners know, like, not only have I been involved in, in a lot of training, very similar to what you're talking about. And, and we'll touch on that while throughout our talk, but also went to, uh, one of your training um, sessions a couple weeks ago, and one of the one of the things that I was reminded of after coming away from that, and Eric and I were talking about this in a training session we did a few days later, and I was telling him, you know, some of my notes uh, with coming away from that, and and it was this phrase right here, and I might have put it on a on on one of your posts. Uh, uh, rule sets change priorities. Okay, so uh, I get reminded of that a lot whenever, uh, and this is just one point related to what you're talking about. Um, so something as simple as, uh, so I was, I, I got taken down in one of the fights, uh, one of the scenarios, and uh, the guy had a gun. So, th so the guy had a, a gun and was trying to get to his gun. And so whenever you have someone in your guard and now, granted, I also had gloves on my hands, so I couldn't get the same types of grips that I that I would in a regular jujitsu match. But there'd be one sort of thing that you might do in a jujitsu match, which is kind of the sort of thing that you're talking about, right? So I might have one set of priorities where I say, uh, well, I, I, I want to do this, that, and the other, and, there, and there's a bunch of different things that we could talk about. But all of that changes if he's reaching for a weapon. Um, and that relates to a phrase that you reiterated to us uh, in that session of fighting people like they're armed, you know, so thinking about um, keeping that, um, what would be a good way to say it, giving primacy to that idea. Uh, so you can make a grave mistake if you don't um, keep that in mind that people could be armed because they often are. And so if you don't set your priorities that way, uh, you're hand fighting, you don't give proper uh, respect to the hand fight and you're you're paying attention to something else you might be really good at what you're doing but what you're doing is wrong uh, is is inappropriate in that context you know yeah yeah and and, and that's that's an important distinction too for you know our, our guys out there that are martial artists and training too like there's not necessarily something like that's a wrong answer or at least for for training but it's like, yeah, like, as you said, like inappropriate for the time. Uh, and when, when you're talking about a weapons environment, um, fighting at fighting people as if they might be armed is is um, something that I, I got from Matt Larson. And and we we talk about this a lot. Right. We talk about training, training. But there's a difference between being trained and then having being educated. Right. Or, or, or being exposed and most of what I do actually serves mostly as a cautionary tale, uh, mostly as this is, this is the things that these are the holes in the area, right? It's not necessarily that you don't know uh, what to do, but yeah, you have the wrong, wrong priority. So, uh, you know, like most of martial arts training, I mean, that's mostly done unconsciously, right? It's, it's anti-intellectual, anti-critical, 
Okay, we we have the guy who's a black belt, and especially if he's he's very charismatic. I mean, eventually those people. I mean, I, I remember being a you know junior new white belt. Like a black belt was like a god to me, you know. So you never question your gods, right? So um, so you never really think about that. And then people they they present these solutions, but they're also presenting solutions within the context of the training method that they're using. Mm-hmm. So that's really important because we have to subject ourselves to the conditions that we expect to fight in and, and as best as possible. But um, so yeah, that, that, that's my thought on that. Yeah, no, that's good. And, uh, and so you made me think of another thing related to the training tools. Um, and uh, we're almost kind of bleeding into the next thing that I want to ask you about, because I want to kind of get a little bit of chronology on uh, like a timeline of how you, um, what you encountered along the way that that made you go, hold on a second, I'm gonna I'm gonna ditch this, and hold on a second, I gotta ditch that, hold on a second, I gotta ditch this. So maybe we're kind of skipping steps when I say this, but but uh, you know, whenever you brought out the the <laughs> the, the scary taser knives, right? Uh, it, it, it's a little bit of that. It, it's good, man. It, fear is good for people. Fear is good for people, um, precisely because of the context that you're talking about. Because you know, and and I love that kind of stuff because I I knew exactly what you were talking about. Um, I've I've seen all the stuff and and worked with people over the years. I got really frustrated with knife training, um, oh, probably 15 years ago, um, and the way that I got frustrated with it was is what I did. It wasn't a live uh, shock knife. But what I did was just hand rubber knives to motivated untrained people and then just told them I put enough padding on their arm that enough padding on them that they were comfortable with me beating them up while they tried to stab me. Um, and then I tried to do the stuff that I had been training to do. Um, and that didn't work. And, and then I, I tried to drill it more. I'd already been drilling it a lot and it still didn't work. And then I said, Okay, I'm going to try some really simple stuff. I'm just going to try to get a hold of the. I'm just going to try to get a hold of the arm and just start kneeing them, and that worked kind of okay. And then I just thought, well, I'll just try to haymaker them, and then, and that didn't work all that great. And and finally, I just came down with really ugly stuff. It was just really ugly stuff that kind of halfway a little bit kind of saved my butt, right? Just a little bit. And then I was like, man, there's just not very much that works if you're if you're fighting unarmed against a knife, there's just not very much that works. There's not this broad, deep, beautiful art to fighting against a knife. (laughs) Uh, Except for running. (laughs) Like, well, and yeah. And so then that gets into the strategic stuff. Right. And so the, and so you can cut a lot of that out if you just scare people a little bit with something that's going to shock them if they mess up, you know? Yeah. You have to argue with them. Yeah. The the thing with fear is that, like, okay, in, in the training environment, like, all right, we're in a padded room with our friends and other people that just want to train. So it's like, all right, how do I, like, I, I can't really uh, simulate fear, right? I can't, I can't, it, it's really hard to artificially create a physiological response without some type of, uh, let's say, a uh, um, physical penalty right for, for lack of a better word and, and that's that's what the the taser does for us it offers it i mean it's because it, the, 
the, the psychological shock, I mean, it's audible, right? And, it, you know, it's visual. So you see that lighting up and mm-hmm. uh, the sound and, and, and then it also hurts, you know? So. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I've noticed is the anticipation of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because like, I, I, I've been shocked before in different scenarios like that. And it's like you're trying to do what it is that you've trained to do but it's completely distracts you. <laughs> the pain is one thing, but it's more the anticipation I find yeah. Yeah. that makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's always like that, right? Anything that is like really hard or scary, the anticipation is oh, the, the buildup is always so much worse than the actual mm-hmm. event itself. I mean, it, it's, yeah. like, it's kind of one of the stoic, stoic philosophy sayings, but yeah, and also it's important to people to know, like, hey, even if you get hurt, you can still keep fighting. Like, Absolutely. You're not going to turn to dust. You're not going to disappear. The the magic, the bad man's gonna, not going to make you go away with his black magic. Like, you can still keep on fighting. And, yeah. and I, think, I think people don't realize, uh, like, number one, I think men really think that their strength matters way too much. Um, and, and I feel, and I feel like they also realize that they're a lot stronger than they believe, especially, you know, um, mentally. So, yeah, that's why testing yourself is super important. If it's something that you're interested in getting better at, you don't know how good you're going to be at that without some sort of stress test. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the scenario you're going to be in if you have to deploy the things that you're trying to learn. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's, that's something we did at uh, the uh, street survival class, uh, you know, er- everything culminated to one final uh, event. So yeah, and then and I think, Jai, I think you've like busted your hand up pretty good. Yeah. On that one too. yeah. <laughs> uh, I know you said open hand strikes and then under stress, I threw a close hand strike. <laughs> So I, I saw that. I was like, man, that's going to hurt later. <laughs> he did. He talked about it all the way. I was like, as, soon as, as, as soon as I threw that left hook, I was like, okay, we said open hand strikes. I better open that hand up. Uh, and then afterwards, I was like, why is that hand bleeding? And I was like, oh, yeah, because I closed my hand. Yep. Whoopsie daisy. But that happens. Yeah, man. I still shot just fine with that hand. It's all right. Yeah. Um, kept fighting. Yeah. Uh, so, um, related to that, so nobody just wakes up and has these epiphanies in their martial arts path. Everyone who has, uh, gotten there, um, what I've found is, is that some guys are luckier than others. You know, some kind of start off, uh, in a place where they, uh, kind of struggle with, uh, in a martial art that's pretty unrealistic, and uh, they have to kind of wade through quite a bit of, uh, of that and find their way to, to, to more and more realistic stuff. And maybe it takes more time and, and, and all that sort of thing. Other guys are more lucky. They, the, the first thing they do is quite realistic. Uh, I, I was pretty lucky in that way. Um, and, and, and so the, the guys that I've talked to over the years, uh, I just find that people kind of come into the path at different points and, and have different levels of things that they have to weed out along the way. And we're all in a, in a, a constant uh, process of refinement. We're all, we're all trying to chop away the stuff that isn't optimal. We're trying to find optimal solutions and chop away the stuff that isn't optimal. 
Um, so what was kind of the early stuff for you? Did you start off in uh, Taekwondo as a kid? Did you start off in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in the army? Did you start off boxing at the Y? What did you start off doing? So the first thing I did, um, so I, I grew up in the, you know, the, I guess in the, in the early nineties. Um, so I grew up like watching like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, Steven Seagal, uh, He-Man, Thundercats and, you know, Ninja Turtles. So all, and then, then Dragon Ball Z hit. So all I wanted to do was be like a ninja, right? That, that's the main thing. And then, uh, kickboxer, I, I watched that. And I was like, man, I want to learn Muay Thai, whatever it is, you know? And, um, then my my mom finally got me doing karate, and that was like really intense, really really intense. Cause uh, like we had one of those dudes that were like about that life, like he's just about that karate life. So like I, I was doing like full splits, like within the first you know couple months and all that. Like I was doing like a pancake stretch, and they came and like stepped on me. Like it was abusive. I, like looking back now, it was just straight up abuse, you know. And uh, so, <laughs> You can't still do the splits now, can you? Fuck no. Anyway. <laughs> Dude, I'd have to. Yeah, because you were traumatized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got for jujitsu angles, right? So for all my non-flexible people, angles. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I was doing that, doing the karate thing, and then I, uh, my elementary school can only be described as like pre-jail, like straight. Mm. You know, that's that's just the truth. It's just. Uh, Every day was like a fight. If not, it was like you were getting bullied. It was just like, you know, relentless. And um, where, so did you, where, where did you grow up? I, I grew up in uh, South Bronx in New York City. Okay. Is that where you went? So that's where your school was? And... Yeah. So, so from there, yeah, the elementary school I went to, it's, it's because of that school um, and all like the massive like drug addictions and uh, you know, prostitution going on. Like it's because of that school in the state of New York. It's a, it's a, uh, a felony to prostitute um, within a block of an elementary school. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So that gives you kind of like some yeah. insight. So um, anyways, I, it, from there, uh, you know, I got into a fight and I tried some of this karate shit I learned. Right. And I tried like a this jump in, spinning back kick and I got clothesline in the air. So I did not have a good <laughs> I did not have a good time in that fight. And uh, all of a sudden, what's that? Oh, it's like a, a spinning back kick doesn't work out for everyone. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, you know, we, we weren't like sparring or anything like that. Like clearly like GSP, like he's he's good at that move. There's some good people that are, are good at implementing that move. I was just, I just had a real strong one at the time. So I just tried it and I got clotheslined. So it just, I just didn't have the the sparring as far as like, developing the range and, and uh, the situations and where that move is actually a viable solution. I was just like, let me just go for my move. And I just yeah. went for it. Bam. I just got clothesline. <laughs> so, I, so I got up and then I just started, you know, just throwing wild haymakers like Mike Tyson's cause you know, Tyson was killing it in the nineties. So I just did that and just hurt, you know, and that paid off better for me. So I was like, okay, I guess boxing is the way to go. Yeah. Um, and, but my mom, she was not like, she's, like she's anti-gun. She was like, not about violence and all that. So she just like, did not sign me up. It didn't, I didn't end up going to boxing until about when I was like 15, 16 years old. Then I did that for, did that for about two years uh, before joining the army. And then in the army, um, we had a uh, basic training. 
we went I went to basic training in 2003. So this is like th- July, 2003. So this is like three months after the whole Jessica Lynch thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the people who don't know about that. So what that did was change the entire army, right? Before that, the army had a bifurcated culture. It was all like, you know, you were combat arms or you were combat service support. And then after the whole Jessica Lynch thing happened, they changed it and made every soldier a rifleman first. So we, you know, we had to learn all the infantry. And also this was the early part of the war. So, you know, so that goes. So anyway, we're introduced to combatives, right? And I'd got, I'd got in a fight in basic training. So, no. so which is which is a whole other story. So, so, yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, so I got to fight a basic training, and like from then on, like my my drill sergeant was all like Rocky, Slugger, and all this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so like if I got mail, like Rocky, Slugger, you know, something like that. And then uh, and then so Combatives Day comes out. He's like, oh, go get fucking Rocky. Let him get in the pit, you know. So um, and they showed us like a, a like the old school alio pass, like the arm inside, and then like get to side control, get the mount, get an arm bar. Right. That was all they, they taught us. Right. They taught that over eight hours. And so, you know, they put me with this really fit kid, man. This dude was strong and he was just like, wear my ass out for a while. And then all of a sudden, somehow I got on top and did the arm bar exactly the way they showed me to do it. And it was awesome. Right. Because I mean, it, it was probably like 45 seconds, but it felt like we were fighting for like 15 minutes. Right. At the time. So. Um, so anyway, you know, I was, you know, I had all the endorphins rushing. I was like, man, combatives is the shit. That's what I'm going to do. That is the shit. And I went like looking, looking, looking for combatives training. And then um, um, my son was born. And when my son was born, uh, you know, I was just, we, we were just like fucking around in the unit. I ended up getting up assigned to the 82nd and we just, we'd watch some videos and it was not a big deal. Then but when my son was born in 2007, I got really serious about like, man, I need to protect my family. Mm-hmm. Like my, my wife and my, my son. I mean, I, I wanted, I wanted a legacy to pass on to him. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted my wife to feel uh, safe and secure. Um, you know, we, we got married. I was young. I think we were, I was 21, 22 when we got married. So, you know, I was still had man issues, right. I was not, I was not fully secure in my person yet. So I was worried about that a lot. Uh, so then I got serious about training. And um, so I did everything I could uh, within the area. I, I signed up for um, for some kickboxing thing, right? And, and then I ended up going to Iraq and I got certified in army combatives in 2007, right? And, um, and one of my friends at the time, he was, I thought he was Puerto Rican because he was light-skinned, right? Mm-hmm. But he was actually, his name was uh, De Souza and he was actually Brazilian. And he was a blue belt at the time. So this is, you know, 2007. Like, if you found a blue belt, that was like, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a solid find. Like, oh, Ryan, that's a solid role, you know? Uh, people don't realize, like, how fast, like, everything has grown, man. And so, so yeah, I was just hooked, hooked. I bought every um, – you guys remember the, the Victory Belt Publishing? Oh, yeah. They published all those, like yeah. – so the first book I bought was Eddie Bravo's um, – rubber guard and pj penn's book of knowledge yep and yeah man the, the rest is history and uh you know i was a, a, I was a combatives instructor so i was able to like you know teach as a guys to train um so yeah man so that that's how it went and um i spent 15 months in iraq just training with with the guys and it's the 
as soon as I got R and R from Iraq and I got back, I went to Brazil for a week. And oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I was training at uh, uh Roberto Gordo's gym, so uh-huh. the, the the half guard guy, half guard. Yeah. Um, so I was a uh, remind back. me to never get in your half guard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't I don't know if mine is that that dangerous. <laughs> that dude's a savage. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, I, so you know, it, I just I bounced around a lot, man. That's it. It was just, it was just a lot of bouncing around just because military life, and I, I never really got to stay in one place for. The longest I probably was like was with Matt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice, cool. Yeah. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has a way of uh, of uh, cutting out a lot of the uh, illusions uh, because you can you can think you know all the sayings that we hear from people. Yeah. Well, I'll just get mad and I'll get out of that position. You know, you wouldn't be able to hold me down because I. Man, I, my mentality, bro. Yeah, my mentality. Yeah, I got a tough mentality, man. I'll just figure a way out, you know. <laughs> you haven't been to a jujitsu class, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you're making me want to tell army stories, but I want to hear your story. So um, let me think about uh, next thing I want to ask. Oh, I know what I want to talk about. Uh, so you, uh, so I got a story I want to tell that that I know relates to a to a. Uh, a saying that you, uh, or a phrase that I really liked that I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to borrow it. I'm going to steal it from you and use it in my classes. Uh, <laughs> I'm just letting you know, I'm going to steal it. Uh, so, so there's this fight, there's this fight. Uh, so the guy that owns the gym where I coach right now, his name's Aaron, Aaron Kimball. Um, and Aaron and I refer to this fight quite often to talk about boxing. And so there's this, and I wish I could find the link and send it to you, um, but it's long lost in all the videos that I've saved. If I come across it, I'll send it to you. But it's this tie fight, right? And these two tie fighters, <clears throat> excuse me, or these two tie fighters are going at it, you know, tying up and and throwing, you know, teeps and setting up beautiful leg kicks and and setting up kicks to the body and throwing their combos and all this. And it goes on for round after round. And then uh, somebody uh, wins the decision at the end and one of the corners gets pissed and throws a chair or a stool into the, into the middle of the, the ring. And so the, the corners kind of rush in and everybody just gets pissed off and immediately everyone just loses their, so this is trained corners. They're trained tie fighters. Both these guys just did beautiful tie fight for however many rounds uh, so everyone in this ring is highly trained and both these guys have just done beautiful tie fights and guess what happens when everybody gets pissed after the stool gets thrown in there and there's a brawl. They plant their feet and drop their hips about two inches and they just start swinging wild ass blows as hard as they can. <laughs> and, and, and we, we always love to show people that and be like, Look what happens when the shit hits the fan and people get get emotional. They plant their feet and they just start chucking hard blows as hard as they can. And uh, that is is the phrase that you, that you used was the universal fight plan uh, phrase. Of, uh, so I've been thinking about doing a series of videos of like why we do each of the areas. So like why guns and then explain it. Why blade? Why sticks? Why the clinch, why jujitsu, uh, why boxing, or why striking in general, right? 
because there's a reason for each of these or, or, or where they fit. And one of my answers for part of my answer for why striking or why boxing particular, particularly would have to do with the universal fight plan that um, at the very least, somebody's going to do that to you and you need to be able to be safe who has the best defense against strikes or the best ideas against strikes. It's the people that spend their time uh, getting hit by professionals that are really good or, or high level dudes who are really good at putting a lot of pressure on you with their fists. That's the people who have the best understanding about staying safe about that. It's, it's not people who don't encounter resistance and come up with funny little ways to quote redirect people's hands and turn them into wrist locks and stuff like that. Right. So that's the universal fight plan right there, man. That's the phrase I'm going to steal from you. <laughs> well, so, so that's actually not mine. That's actually, uh, so one of the books that, uh, I, I think everybody should get is Matt Larson's, um, combatives and combatives, t uh, training, uh, man, battle proven tech, uh, tactics and training methods that that's where that's from. So that's actually right. like a combatives term. Um, so that's one of them, the uh, universal fight plan. Um, then they have the, the, the hoist Gracie plan of, of close dominate finish. Um, then you have, um, damn it. Damn, I'm, I'm on the spot. I got to clear that. Go read it again. Uh, but then you have the difference between training methods and techniques. Yep. You also, there's also a lot in there as far as, uh, why some, why, uh, Matt doesn't overtly say it in the book, but if you're if you're kind of in the know, if you read it a couple of times, you start realizing like what made him successful versus uh, what made other people fail, right? Mm -hmm. So like uh, Matt will will tell you like he's not the greatest martial artist. Like he'll he'll tell you that. Um, I mean, to me, he's just a freaking genius. Like he's just he's like somebody that I, I think he has a a rare skill in that like he can really see forward uh, as far as like how things will play out as far as like second and third order consequences of certain actions like Matt is really good at a vision in that I, and I, and I, and in such a way that it's it's rare mm -hmm. um, so yeah that's that's really uh that's really something like if you want to like if you want to have a good program that's something you got to know uh, the the universal fight plan and really as far as like what's the difference between a technique and then a training method yeah that's another that's a distinction that a guy who's been uh, heavily influential on me for a, a very long time now uh, Matt Thornton uh, also makes a really it, and and Matt to me is is another kind of genius mind of our time as far as training yes. Um, and heavily influential, really more influential than a lot of people know, like a, a, a lot of different places that you look, Matt Thornton is behind a lot of the stuff that's going on and has seen things before a lot of other people saw it. And, uh, and, and, and Matt Larson was influential on me in, in a way as, as well, even though I only trained with him briefly back in, back in the day, but he, and it really was about the same time that I was coming into contact with SBG with straight blast gym and, and Thornton, and really my, the time that I did uh, training with Matt Larson really kind of pushed me into paying more attention to what Matt Thornton was saying and kind of pushed me into uh, uh, being more interested in that and, and being like, oh my gosh, I really need to get more into 
like Greco in the clinch and, and, and my jujitsu is not as good as I think it is. That was like, that was like one of my big takeaways from going and training with the guys at the uh, 75th there at Benning was because I thought my jujitsu was pretty good before then. Cause I was beating up most of the people I was encountering, but I just wasn't encountering very good people was the, was the problem. And then once I encountered people who were uh, good at jujitsu, <laughs> whoops <laughs> it was a different story okay uh, well I've got, I've got a quick question just as we're talking about training uh do you have any standout kind of moments of like poor training <laughs> that you've uh searched out oh like as far as you like, name names <laughs> like, i've taken uh, man, I, I think it's just, um, I can't really say like there's a, a poor training. It's just, there is just short-sighted, right? Like they don't really let the, the, the next foot fall forward. Right. I mean, they'll, um, really, and it's really just something I see that's across every, every martial art and, and kind of most martial arts in general is just everyone is kind of wanting to solve the problem within the parameters or within the, the boundaries of what they're doing. And, and they're, and I, and I think they also think the solution is depth of knowledge in one specific area where, as opposed to like the solution is a breadth of knowledge in a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. Is that making sense? hundred percent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, generalist approach is where it's at hundred yeah. percent. Um, I agree. And, and that's, let, let me, let me elaborate on that a little bit because okay. people will take that and run with it as like, I'm saying, all you need is the basics of this, that, or, the, or the other. Right. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, yes, crude techniques can work, right? That's totally true. Bad guys make them work all the time, right? But they also have an initiative, right? They're also operating every day. Um, so it's very different for the person in, in uh, as far as that, that has that uh, reactionary gap as they like to call it, right? Uh, you still need to have some sophistication in what you're doing. You still need to be competent in it. Um, so I, I don't want people to think like all they need is like the move, uh, you know, that it's like my spinning back kick stories, right. That you could get clothesline and then all of a sudden that shit's out the window. Um, so you need sophistication in these things, right. You need to learn a lot of different things and you need to learn them from someone who understands them deeply and knows how to pass them on to you. And you also need to, uh, a way to continue to develop those things, uh, in that person's absence, because, uh, that that's really, uh, really the key thing, right? Like, yes, the basics, the fundamentals, all that stuff works in real fights. And that's mainly what I stick with as far as like within this, um, within the type of training that I do. But I mean, I mean, how, how does Hodge Gracie get people with a cross collar choke? I mean, that is a sophisticated cross collar choke that is refined mm -hmm. over a process of repetition. So that's what you want. Like, he, like I, I remember he was like, Oh, that it, it's not this, it's this, right? Mm -hmm. So subtle and so small yeah. that uh, you can't even notice. So yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just had to put that. No. 
uh, one thing I would say to that, John, is is uh, it's it, there's enough to do to try to be good enough at all those different things is one of the reasons why I don't have patience for the what we could maybe call the excessive depth that you were alluding to a few minutes ago. Um, the uh, because when you want to pursue the broader path it, to, to be truly well-rounded it you got enough on your plate there's there's limited time i mean i'm in my mid-40s right now and i and i don't feel like i'm i'm like man i'm gonna turn around and be 60 and then turn around and be 70 i don't even have i don't have enough time you know like there's limited time everybody has limited time and uh you don't have any time to be wasting on stuff that doesn't feed your goals there's plenty of time to be spent on mastering those those fundamentals and digging into them because there's plenty of uh there's plenty of depth just in being good at at that stuff that a lot of people might think on the surface is is pretty simple yeah absolutely uh so i want to ask you about um you're you're gonna have to remind me of the it was kind of fast in the video that i saw when you said the the uh, the words on i believe it was spotter up you were talking about spotter up and i remember the uh the words wild man and monk for sure and maybe warrior uh i want to kind of talk about those categories a little bit and what they mean to you uh what kind of uh, personal or maybe even cultural relevance you you almost kind of got into some some cultural stuff at the very beginning really and tempted me to jump to that at the very beginning but I kind of saved it uh, uh, so uh, you, you know what I'm getting at the four I think it was four yeah. categories yeah uh, so find me what those words are and and tell so, me what these mean so for for the podcast that I, that I host is uh spotter up and uh, the we like to call it the traditional total man concept of gunfighter, writer, wild man, and monk. It's a man of action, man of intellect, man of emotion, and man of spirit. Um, so that that's um something that's really had me put things in perspective. I mean, when you when you're talking about not wasting time, uh, when we take those things and we look at them um, in that order, it's essentially. Um, we can actually fit that into the life of a man. And, and I'm talking about from, from when you're a young man, you're the, you're the gunfighter, you're the man of action, you're trying to, uh, you know, gung-ho and you're just ready to go out and conquer the world. And then, um, you know, uh, man, and then, then you start to refine, um, you become, you know, more intelligent and you start to try to be more effective in your conquests. And then, uh, and then, of course, you know, you adapt, you grow a family, and you become emotional. You start realizing the things that really matter. It's not even so much the things that are outside, but more the things that are, you know, the people next to you that really, really matter. Um, and then also, as you, as you age and you start thinking about legacy, you start thinking about the next generation and the generation after them. Um, you start thinking about, you know, yeah, your your great grandchildren, your ascendants then you start to really become spiritual and you start really thinking about this thing. And, and also having perspective on life 
it does a lot as far as confirming some of the things like I, I, you know, I, I totally get like why people are secular. I mean, I was a, I was an unapologetic atheist at one point in my life, but I also really didn't know enough. I, I kind of knew uh, a very surface level of what life was. And as I began to experience more and, and, and love more and care deeper, I, I realized that, even if you're a secular person, the Bible is full of thousands of years of wisdom as far as like living a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that, that's what that means to me at this point. Yeah. I wonder, uh, were some of the milestones along that path related to having children? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, um, before my son was born, um, you know, I was a, I was in the 82nd. I was a paratrooper. I was partying every weekend and, and working hard all week and, you know, boozing and whoring every weekend and then going out and jumping out of high performance aircraft and, and just, you know, I'd been to Afghanistan, all this stuff. I, I really just never really meditated on my own mortality. I never really thought about um, that I could die. I never really thought about that you know, there are, you know, how my life is going to contribute to the world after, you know, I never really thought about those things. And, you know, it, he, him, him being born, put that all in my heart, put that all in my head. And I just like, it made, it changed, it changed me in a way where I started thinking about provisions. I started thinking more about um, preparedness, readiness, uh, individually, um, as a family, um, wanting to be a, a good dad because you know my, my father was alienated from me so I, I really didn't um understand parenting and, and things like that so um that's yeah so i, I would say that the as far as like spirit you know going in adopting a, a, a spiritual side of my life it's 100 percent because of my son do you think that was a an immediate sort of reaction that you had or was that something that you grew into i over I, I grew into it yeah. I, I definitely grew into it it, it wasn't an immediate thing because it was still um you know i was, I was still very young and I, I still there were still things i wanted to do um and balancing that with family all right there was there was growing pains and um so it, it was something that i needed to make a lot of mistakes to figure out and uh, that, that's how all of that came about. And, and that's how I arrived at the point I have, um, regardless of everything, all the bad stuff that's happened to us as a family, we've always got through it together. I mean, um, it, it, this is no, no knock on anybody in, in the military or any of my friends, you know, I still, you know, I, I still care about them deeply, but you know, when, when I got out of the army and shit hit the fan for, for me and my family, like my teammates were not there. Um, nobody was there. It was just me and my wife, you know, against the world. And we had to conquer and we had to fight through this terrible unknown circumstances that we, we had no way of foreshadowing. And, and it was just us. Um, so over time, um, through that suffering, that's really what made me grow into it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thought about how, like, I think that, uh, some of, of our viewpoints in life um, 
like you mentioned philosophical philosophical type stuff i think you know some of it changes because of ideas that we come into contact with but some of it changes just because of our position in life it's it's almost like developmental in a way that that you can't have certain perspectives until you've lived through certain experiences and and once you have them your brain changes you know your your um who you are changes because there's uh, there's things inside you that change and then you you can't help but have that perspective it's almost like if you track people's worldview as they become, for example, more invested in society by having a, a family, uh, they of necessity see life in a different way, you know. And I, I know that that was true for me. Um, and I, I had this thought after we you know, did our podcast with Matt Larson, and he was talking about uh, competition over resources, you know, and that's something that he knows a lot about. And I, I was thinking about uh, so I'm coming up on 44. I'll be 44 next month. And uh, I was thinking about just the way I feel inside. And, you know, the term, uh, the fire in the belly, you know, uh, the, the, the fire in the belly is, is, is less or different for me now uh, than when I was younger. And you could, you could almost explain that as, you know, I have a different uh, sphere that I'm uh, tending to than when I was younger. Like it, it, I didn't think of it that way when I was younger. I didn't think of it as I was trying to establish myself in the world or prove myself or compete over resources, if you want to put it that way, right? Um, uh, and, and, you know, you used the phrase uh, unresolved manhood issues or or things like that, right? Um, but I, I didn't think of myself like that, uh, but it's almost like you, you can't have that sort of calm or that sort of perspective and without earning it. And once you go through, you know, you just mentioned suffering and I'm a big fan of suffering. I'm not a fan of suffering in the moment, but always in retrospect, <laughs> it's informative. <laughs> I'm not asking for more suffering, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> if anybody's listening, <laughs> but uh, but uh, it, it it once you come through it, it 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 uh, you do get that that increased calm and perspective, and it does change the way that you see things, and uh, you don't have a way to see those things in a different way prior to having those experiences, mm. and you do tend to be more kind of just flailing about and partying on the weekends and and throwing fisticuffs and maybe jumping out of planes and then you're not real sure why uh, you know and you would probably have a damn good justification for it in the moment if somebody asked you about it uh, but you'd be wrong hmm. right yeah absolutely it's uh you know when we look at some of the things right like uh, some of the themes for people um for religions across the world, right? There's always this constant theme of a, of a birth, then a death, then a rebirth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, and I, I think those are just, it's just uh, symbolic of, of the changes that we go through. I think, uh, you know, uh, I forget, I think it was uh, Heraclitus who said that, uh, 
you don't step in the same river twice, right? Everything flows, everything changes. And, you know, like people will go back to a place they grew up and like, man, this place has changed. Like, no, it's not changed. It's yeah. you, you change. Right, right, for sure. I think the spectrum of experience helps helps quite a bit too. It's like, you just can't know things until you know them. And you can't know them until you've had some sort of experience with them. And that's generally, you know, not happening to kids. So as you get older, it just kind of inherently, you know, maybe if your life is uh, a little bit more complicated than others, you might get that spectrum quicker. But either way, that I, if you don't have it, it's really hard to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I think, yeah. yeah, think back to what we were saying earlier, right? As far as like what people think that they're gonna do if they they get in a fight, right? Like, it's like okay, I can tell you. I'm sure you guys can as well. Like, tell exactly, tell people exactly what they need to do to to win a fight in a specific situation, right? Like, I tell you exactly what you need to do, but. This isn't something I could just tell you about. Like one, one of the sayings we have or, or that comes from Spotter Up is there are some good secret things in this world. And there are like that's a challenge to you to go out and experience life and gain perspective. Because look, I could tell you what the good secret things are, but it doesn't matter. Like you've got to experience this to understand it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay, next next thing I want to ask you about, John, is uh, so another kind of a, a, a abiding area of interest um, is is leadership um, and the challenges that come with leadership, uh, but also the influence that that pours out of leadership, the good leaders and and good mentors, and the uh, you know you mentioned legacy a, a minute ago. Uh, and, and we're all a part of somebody's legacy, right? Because um, we don't, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't discover on our own all the discoveries that we have. They're uh, gifts in a lot of ways that we get from other people. We, we get helped up the stairs, so to speak. You know, there's the old saying of standing on shoulders of giants. So you do some of your own learning from your own experience and you do some of your learning from other people's experience. Um, so I wonder, uh, in your past, any leaders that, uh, stick out to you, uh, or leaders or mentors that kind of stick out to you as being especially influential and then maybe why, you know, why, why did they influence you? What stuck with you or sticks with you to this day? about their leadership? Why do you think they were effective? And, and what uh, sticks with you as a, as a big part of your life because of the influence that they had on you? Man, there, there's just so many. Uh, it, it's really hard to just like kind of narrow it down. Um, the first person that comes to my mind is, is probably my first platoon sergeant, uh, James Proctor. He, you know, I was, like I said, I was 18, 19 years old and I got to the 82nd and he put me in charge of a bunch of a group of, you know, little, uh, gop we call them, right. The little group of pissed off paratroopers and, uh, had me like run training with these guys. So it was like the first time I actually had the, had someone's faith in me to like lead other men and get done what I need to get done. So that was probably the, um, 
that's probably like that was a, a milestone for me there. And after that, uh, have to be Martin Rooney. So for, for for those people who don't know, Martin Rooney, he's a he runs a program called Training for Warriors. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Iraq, getting you know learning about training and getting into martial arts, I I, I just like man, you know, I got to get fit because I'm just getting worn out, getting gas, and so I bought his book. Yeah. And, uh, and so I was a huge Ryan Gracie fan and, um, you know, cause he's just a gangster. Right. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I loved, I loved Hein Gracie. And, um, so I saw that Hein was on the cover of Martin's books. So I buy Martin's book. Uh, and I reached out to him too, through, um, uh, through his website, you know, I was like, Hey man, love the book, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I'm using this workouts and I, like really I got in the best shape I ever, ever have been using that book. And then a couple of years later, I get stationed in Europe and I end up meeting Martin in um, Italy. I go to his, I was like, he, he was coming to do his like certification for level one. So I signed up and I, I met him and I got to spend a lot of time with him. Awesome. Uh, and I got out, got out the army and I got to spend more time with him. And he's like, um, man, he's always pushed me on the path. He always like, as far as like, he's a person that what I, what I learned most from him is that about like what people call mindset and it's like, choose how you feel about a situation. Right. Like he's like, he's always constantly fired up and he's like, man, so there's some days I just don't want to be fired up, but I choose to be, you know, it's like, I, I get to do these things. And he's, he, as far as like positive mental attitude, um, that's like the biggest thing I learned from him. Hmm. Um, the next person I'd, I'd probably have to say is um, uh, Rafael Gorgino, who's a uh, Gordo's brother. Uh, he's just, he's like an, like he's a, man, he is just, uh, everybody would call him the technique Nazi. <laughs> but but he, he taught me about precision. He taught me about like, being precision and deliberate, right? Like being deliberate as far as like what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve and also making a plan as far as like, like developing a game. Uh, he, like he, he was the one who taught me that. Um, and then, you know, was he a big half guard guy too, or. And he's everywhere. He, he's yeah. actually like a, a constant pressure, constant, like constantly attack. And, and then it's like, you know what's coming, but, but there's not really too much you could do about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Then, um, then of course, Matt Larson, you know, Matt, Matt gave me my, my, my brown belt and gave me my black belt. Um, I spent the most time with him. Matt didn't really, when I became Matt's student, he wasn't really trying to make me a better martial artist. Like he, it really was apparent to me. He wanted me to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a whole different thing than any other like martial. I mean, I'm not saying that other martial artists um, that I've trained with didn't want the same for me. I mean, but it's more of a, a byproduct, right? It's more of a, it's not necessarily their intention. It's just, um, it just kind of happens. Right. Um, With, with Matt, it was like, it was very deliberate, very systematic as far as like, I want to show you how, I want to show you exactly what areas that you're lacking and I'm going to show you how to fix them. And then if I'm not around, you'll at least have a plan to where you could fix them without me. 
And um, yeah, man, Matt has just been a huge, huge influence in my life. Huge influence. Um, I, I also realized too, from hanging out with him and, and all the people that, you know, all the circles I ended up running in because of that, it was just like all the biggest killers I know are like super laid back and like just chill, you know? And, and I mean, we see that with fighters, but you know, fighters are not killers, right? Like these are people who've like, you know, drop bodies and stuff like that. Dudes that have been epic rangers and epic operators since the early part of the war. Like these are the type of people I got to, I got to meet and they're just cool as a, cool as a breeze, man. Yep. 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 Absolutely. I didn't expect Martin Rooney. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, what about, uh, you've mentioned a couple already, uh, but what about books? What, um, what kind of books Man. have kind of influenced your path in, in, in all this? You know, I mean, you said one of the, one of the total man concepts is, is writer. I mean, a, a writer definitely has to be a reader, right? Yes. So. And also, I mean, you, you, part of that is, is documenting your legacy too. So I, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of writing a book too, mm-hmm. uh, right now. I, I don't know how good it'll do, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think it's, it's interesting, but, um, as far as books go, I, I really became an avid reader over the last uh, couple years um, where I really got into reading. Um, if I, if I could recommend like something that's short that I think people get out, get a lot out of um, is probably going to be like man's search for meaning Victor Frankl. It's a, it's a classic. Um, it's definitely as far as gaining suffering and choosing how you feel about a situation. That's, 100 percent a book for that um it's very dark uh, i actually like a lot of dark books uh but uh, rape of nan king is also a very good one that i i think people need and i'm gonna that's actually a reading part of the reading list for my kids um when they when they turn 15 that's the book that i was i was about to ask how old how old yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, I've read the book yeah. <laughs> you might want to wait till that 15 seems like a good age yeah. And, and they also, I mean, they're, they're exposed to so much more. So I think, yeah. I think they, they know more a lot than we give a lot more than we give, give them credit for. Um, so, and, and the reason for that is because all of that happened because the men surrendered their arms for comfort. Mm-hmm. They were starving and the Japanese offered them comfort. So they surrendered their arms and that's what happened. And why my daughter's going to read it is because the women and totally depended on their men to provide them with security and safety. And they and, didn't. And they didn't. Yeah. Right? And it's really important that for, for me, at least that I, I'm, I pass on the lesson to my daughter that she needs to know exactly what kind of man she's going to become intertwined with. Um, that yeah, it's, I have a daughter, do- I have a seven-year-old daughter as well. So I can, uh, th- there's this, uh, great little cartoon I saw recently about what man you don't want to marry. Yeah. I haven't showed her this yet. Cause she's seven. I don't want her to think about that <laughs> at this point. And it's like a burglar running into the house and they're in the bathroom, the man, the, the husband and wife and the man, you just see his feet like wiggling 
to um, get out of the like <laughs> the, the wife's trying to get out but he's out first wow you know like th there's things that, that you know we have responsibilities as men with families yeah yeah and i, I tell my son that all the time like hey look if, if somebody breaks in the night what, what do you think mom's gonna do she will turn her side look at me like what are exactly. you gonna do? what are we doing <laughs> so, so you gotta uh, have a plan so then the last book, like this is, this book is hardy, um, but it's just such an incredible book, um, is uh, Maps of Meaning by Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. God, even, even the audio book is, I think, like 30 hours. Uh, but as far as like understanding why we do things, um, I, I think it's good for people to know, like, yeah, you really are just an animal. Mm -hmm. and uh, i think that book does it in a very sophisticated and enlightening way to kind of bring you back to your roots and and really do a deep dive as far as like why you are the way you are what things you have benefit benefited for um, from and, and like i think the man my favorite quote from that book man, I'm, I'm probably gonna butcher it right now because i'm saying it off the top of my head but that people will tear at the walls of culture to as an appeal for freedom not realizing the utility for such walls and because of such walls, they grow contempt for them. But what they actually do is let in the terrible unknown that the walls are keeping out the whole time. So yeah. it, it's something to that effect. I'm sure I butchered it, but yeah, but it's a, it was actually, I was actually uh, reading that during all these, all these protests, right. And all that whole, that Chaz thing that, that happened. So mm -hmm. it was actually very uh, timely come across yeah. that one of the things i learned a, a lot i've learned a lot from jordan peterson as well is the which seems a lot like what you're talking about too is the difference between uh responsibility and and freedom like we talk about all the time of like you know we we need to uh, or rights rather maybe than freedom but rights versus responsibility. It's like they, they, they don't go separately so much. You, if you want those rights, there's a responsibility to keep them. Yeah. Otherwise you're not going to keep them. Yeah. But yeah, I love Jordan Peterson. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. I, I own maps of meaning, but I've only just uh, delved into it a little, haven't finished it. So I need to go, I need to go read it. Uh, but I've watched a lot of his stuff on, on different things and, and I'm uh, consistently surprised at just his outlook on things. And uh, the statement that you just made about culture over this last summer, because I want to kind of do, I had plans for us to do some segments on some uh, political stuff from like a broad perspective, um, uh, not like getting into weird little daily arguments because uh, I don't really like that kind of stuff. Uh, but I like the broad perspective a lot. And, uh, but what I ended up doing was reading and then reading another thing and then reading another thing and being like, man, I'm just trying to develop my perspective more and more. And uh, what I found was, is that there's some old school uh true conservative writers that I agreed with a lot of the things that they were saying. And there's a lot of stuff that they were saying that's very relevant to uh, today's world. Uh, 
because really a lot of the things that are going on have gone on before, which shouldn't surprise anyone. Um, and it's related a lot to the, the kind of stuff that you're talking about in that quote, and that I'm sure Jordan Peterson sees uh, happening. And one of the things that uh, I can't remember who the author was, because I read several different authors, but um, one of the points that he was making is, is that uh, the, the cultural norms and traditions and things like that that we inherit uh, from the from the past uh, are are not just there randomly they're they're there for a reason and that people in the past weren't stupid people they uh, put these things in place as an attempt to answer certain social to deal with certain social tensions and certain social uh, uh, situations even down to uh, recognizing um, uh, thresholds of life and and recognizing familial bonds and and recognizing how societies are are built and the structures of societies and the kinds of things that you're talking about that if you don't have those things what do you have and and so we chip away at those at our peril and so if we just carelessly chip away at them if we just say uh, like you said if we just see them as bondage if we just simply say well, I want to be able to do whatever I want. And I don't, I don't like uh, any stricture on, on me just freely flailing about and doing whatever I want. Uh, that's not a particularly wise way to go about things uh, because people have tried that before. It's not, that's not a new idea. You're not the first person to, to come up with that. Um, and then kind of a related concept was uh, the rate at which we look at changing things, uh, I think the simplest way that a guy said it that made me think, wow, I totally agree with that. Maybe I am uh, conservative in that way was he was like, one of the abiding conservative principles is this, humility about the level of knowledge that humans have. And, and he was like, that's tied into uh, maybe not all of our new ideas are good ideas. So maybe we shouldn't just co-opt them at a high rate of speed as if they're all good ideas. Maybe we should conserve a little and take our time and go, uh, maybe that's a good idea, maybe it's not. Maybe we should, maybe, let's just hold on a second. And I was like, man, that's totally me. I mean, I'm always talking about what I call epistemological humility. We, we need to just chill a, a second and be like, let's, let's be a little bit humble about human knowledge and, and admit that we don't know everything and we can't know everything about the future. And uh, I think that ties very well to not all of our ideas are good ideas and we shouldn't just do change for the sake of change. And uh, maybe when we do that, sometimes we're not going to have a result that we enjoy. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue that even most uh, new ideas are probably pretty bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's probably even played out. I, I think, a lot of people they they suggest things without knowing things and 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 they also want to cast the burden of responsibility on others they, there's like most of the most of the ideas is about outsourcing responsibilities or outsourcing duties and and you just can't do that i mean then you have you have a society of people not invested in sustaining it yeah. and and i feel like that's essentially what we have going on right now but look I mean, history is a nasty teacher. 
yeah. uh, I, I think it's it's no coincidence that I, I've grown um, attached and uh, compelled to read some of these these dark books about really some there's some really disgusting points in human history like 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 ordinary men uh by christopher browning like people will say oh that every cop soldier and defensive person they need to read dave grossman's uh on killing i i call bullshit on that i i think if you really want to get into this situation where you're talking about exterminating another human life because that's what we're doing, right? We're doing it for the sake of defense, but we're doing it to preserve life. But that's, exa that's exactly what we're training for. That's exactly what we're doing. We need to be thinking about, everybody wants to think that they're the bad guy. They think they're the hero. Mm -hmm. But so did every dictator in history. Yeah. And, and they need to realize that under the right conditions, and, and it doesn't even take much, okay? So think about how much you love your families, right? And all of a sudden, let's say, China invades Arkansas. They put a cage around your block and they're like, all right, if none of these people escape, we'll give your family food. But if they do, we're going to shoot one of your family members. What would you do to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah. And you see like just something as simple as that, a cage, right? Mm -hmm. Simple as that. It totally changes the way you view the world and totally, totally changes how you value human life. Right. right. And, uh, the, like for me, I, I think the idea of, of pacifism is just a is just someone who is enjoying the um, the abundance of a peaceful society built by men ready to do violence. Absolutely, it's wishful thinking, maybe. It, it, pacifism is a luxury that such a small percentage of people who've lived uh, behind walls that are erected by, like you said, men who are out there doing the the violence that. It, it, I can't even entertain that. <laughs> it's like a child in a nice, safe home. Yeah. Right. How do people get cold? How do people die of, of cold? It's like, well, go back to your comfy bed and think about that. <laughs> you could just go buy your meat. Like, yeah. <laughs> Why don't they just get a blanket? <laughs> well, little Johnny, yeah, we'll talk about that some other day. You go to bed now. <laughs> yeah. yeah so my my pursuit now um on, on my the books i read is number one as far as like being more effective in the things i do um that's really like a uh cal newport uh, deep work is is one is a favorite of mine um also uh, digital minimalism um great books and then things like maps of meaning and 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 dark parts of history, like those things. I want to understand why people do the things that they do. And I, I, I think it'll just, it just helps me understand myself better. And I think I'm on a path of being effective and being self-aware. I haven't heard of Cal Newport. I'll have to look him up. Oh yeah, man. It's, so he, he's not on social media at all. So nice. and he's like, um, his book, Deep, Deep Work, it actually makes a great case to abandon social media altogether, but you know, it's kind of a necessary evil right now in this industry. But uh, I'm just using, I'm, I'm learning strategies as far as like how to use it effectively, so that way I'm not, um, you know, I, I I don't give into the compulsion to get into these political debates and all this like negativity. Most of the time, if if someone um, posts anything that's like content that's like not 
going to help me or just kind of upset me. Most of the time I just, I unfollow them. Uh, if people direct message me like political shit, uh, they, they get blocked. Like I, I just, um, I just don't have time for it. I, I just really want to be effective. I want to help people. I, I want to cultivate, um, I want to cultivate the rough man that's going to bring us back to where we need to be in society. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's part of my goal is, is put men on a path to become men of agency. Um, so that, that's one of, that's my overarching goal. I mean, yes, training people and making sure like I get paid for it. Yeah, that's great. But the, the real reward for me is that when I talk to a guy like in, in the course that we took, man, that he's an accountant and he, then he shoots me a message like, dude, I'm, I'm taking up jujitsu now and I'm changing my life. I'm, I'm getting better. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm doing my best to become the hero archetype. So that way my family knows they can count on me and, and doing what I need to do so I can take action when needed. And I won't hesitate and I won't freeze like those, those, that's the, that's the real reward for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Uh, well, I don't know how long we've talked, but I think it's been quite a while. We're coming up on 1030. I don't want to keep you up too late. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's up to you, man. So this is your world. I'm just trying to live in it. So <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was my world. Then everything would be right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I could fix everything. <laughs> There'd be more. There'd be more coffee and everything. There'd be a coffee shop on every corner. My world about one one day a week for like three or four hours. Uh, the ice cream truck would have burgers. School and my <laughs> wife has something to do. <laughs> no, dude, I really appreciate you uh, making time to to talk with us, and uh, we'll definitely be getting getting together to do some training in the future and. We'll probably be making more rounds with the podcast as well. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you bringing me on. I mean, uh, I don't really do many of these mostly because I don't get invited, but yeah, every time I get to, it's, it's, it's always a, it's always an interesting conversation. And, um, you know, I, I admire, you know, I admire you guys and, uh, having nothing to prove in life and just, you know, doing things like this and getting interesting people together. I mean, I don't know why I'm here, but you know, I think you guys get, <laughs> hear what you have to say bro yeah, yeah man uh so i'll tag you when i put some short clips out on like instagram and facebook and whatever and uh like i say we'll, we're gonna see each other in the future so awesome man looking you. forward to it we'll see you when we're out there hell yeah bro yeah. all right brother have a good night yep you too see ya all right i gotta push where's my cursor that's right there nope I got to stop recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I paused.